Good morning. Thanks for joining us again today's service. Today we are starting a new series in the book of Acts. Yeah, this morning uh, we're going to start really in Acts 1 through 2, and our new series that we're starting today is called Witnesses. Uh, Witnesses is a term that is used throughout the book of Acts over and over again, and it really describes uh, this call to us as a church, really to, to live bearing witness uh, to Christ. And as we begin this series today, um, I, I was thinking about that word witnesses and how, how so often we, we hear that word and, and it seems to be describing what we're supposed to do, like share testimonies or evangelize to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought about the par- part that we often miss is the first part of what it means to be a witness. It means you have to experience it. Mm-hmm. You have to see it for yourself. So you have to experience this transformation so that you can talk about what happened to you. Um, And I think that this is really the instruction that begins. Acts is the second book that is written by Luke. Uh, He writes his gospel and then he continues it. And it's like the story that is continued. And and we find ourselves being invited into this. Uh, This past week, my son and I were were building one of his toys. And as we were putting things together, uh, we were trying to, we were having a hard time figuring out the final pieces, how everything went together. And then my son flipped over the instructions and he said, oh, there's more instructions on the back. And it was like this clarifying aspect, this revealing thing of like, oh, here are the answers we need to to find out what to do. And I think Acts is that for Luke as he writes this. Uh, Luke's gospel is about Jesus, what Jesus has come to do. And then we turn over the paper and in Acts we find, oh, we're involved in this process. We're invited in. These are the instructions that we're seeking to find out. Yeah. And so it hits the ground uh, running in Acts, and it's this this time after the resurrection, and where we're at today is leading up to Pentecost, this, this big proclamation moment where the church starts, and uh, many are added to their number, it says, that day, and baptized, and, and the, the birth of the church as we know it is. And so right before that birth, we're, we're in a moment where Jesus is giving the disciples instructions. And so Luke's gospel ends kind of hinting at this is what Jesus is about to do. And as we, we pick up in Acts, you know, we, we come to this moment uh, that we, we talked about in our previous sermon series, Now What? We, we come again to this moment where the disciples are looking for, for clarity, looking uh, for Jesus to really point out the specific thing he wants them to do. And our, our passage today begins uh, really in verse six. Uh, the disciples, it says this, so when they had all come together, uh, the disciples, they asked Jesus, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think, again, this is this now what moment that the disciples mm-hmm. are going through. And they're looking for this, this answer. Is this the time? Is this the moment, Jesus, that you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And again, Jesus has to, to rebuke, really correct the disciples yeah. and again say, hey, you're looking in the wrong place. And I think as I read this passage, as I read this verse this week, I think that's a question that I'm wrestling with as we go through this current moment we're in. Is this the time? Mm-hmm. Is, is this when things will change? Jesus, is this the change that we're looking for? Yeah. Is this the moment when we're going to be able to come back together? Is this the time? And Jesus yeah. really begins to point out, you're looking in the wrong place. This is not yeah. where you're supposed to be looking. Our, our questions continue to shift. We go from asking now what to when to, you know, next you ask who. And, and it's this... Uh, chasing after figuring out some kind of trust with Jesus. And he's saying, uh, you know, the questions are going to continue, but do you have your trust in, in what I'm doing? 
And often when we're looking for the tangible answer, Jesus opens our eyes to this this bigger moment that he wants us to focus on. So we see Jesus respond in verses seven through eight. And he says this, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And verses seven through eight are really this primer into the rest of the book of Acts. And we see that as Jesus rebukes the disciples, he clarifies in this moment saying, stop focusing on the time. In fact, really the time is now for you to focus on what you're to do. Mm-hmm. And he gives them this twofold instruction. And uh, today we're going to focus on these, on these two things. One, to receive, uh, to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And two, to be his witnesses, to receive and be witnesses. These are the two elements that will lead us really into the rest of our sermon today and into the book of Acts itself. To receive is to have something placed upon you. It's this mindset of receiving a gift, of receiving something you didn't earn. And, and Jesus is, is saying, hey, you will receive this power. But the interesting thing he says is this power that you will receive isn't to come from yourself. It's not something that you are going to, to figure out on your own, but the power you are to receive is coming from his spirit. It's being given to you, something outside of yourself, mm-hmm. something given from God. And when you receive the power of the spirit, it says, then you will be my witnesses. Uh, that's the name of our sermon series, because this is the theme that carries us through the book of Acts, witnesses. Uh, that word witness comes from the word martis, which is really the word martyr. And mm. so we get this idea of, of to be a witness. It means to, 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 wit, to risk something by sharing what you have, have ex- experienced. And this is this action that we are called into, to go and speak on behalf of God. Uh, but to begin to witness, first, it has to begin with seeing it yourself, of experience this transformation. It has to begin by first receiving this power outside of yourself because then it begins to prompt you forward. And before these instructions are given, Jesus gives the disciples a a real clear instruction. He says, wait. Yeah, that's the command that no one wants to hear. And that's the, maybe even the season of life that we all feel like we're in, wait. Wait, and we're asking ourselves the questions like we were in the last series, now what? But also now asking when, when is, when do we do these things? When do we get back to normal life? When do we live out our calling? Um, and that's a question we ask our whole life. They're given this instruction, wait. And I think we all can sympathize with that. Um, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what, we're, what are we waiting for? Uh, I think uh, I'm a very future oriented person. And so I'm happy to live in the present but as long as I know I'm working towards something in the future. So mm-hmm. times like this are personally hard for me. I, I know what I'm, I'm working towards and what we're heading towards. I just don't know when. Mm-hmm. When am I going to get to live a normal life again? Um, and so waiting is like these equal parts, sometimes hope and dread. You're hoping for, for a great outcome, but you know that, that, that there could be something that you don't expect or that you don't yeah. like. And, and so... Um, what this is, is not just a, com- a command to sit quietly, but really it's a command of patience because patience is so closely tied with trust. Mm. And I think when we don't trust, we tend to ask a lot of questions. If you know, if you know somebody that you really trust, um, you just trust their motives so you don't have to question that. 
You trust their actions, so you don't, you don't feel like you have to question that. You give people benefit of the doubt that you trust. And so when Jesus tells them to wait, he's calling upon their trust and building their trust in them. And so here we see him gather this group, this unlikely group. They're uneducated. We'll talk more about that later. Again, Acts, they're, they're just these ordinary people. They're alone. They're, they're um, really in opposition to the government that, that, is, that is not happy with what's been going on. And right there, God starts the most powerful movement by telling them to wait. Now, Jesus is, is super specific. He wants them to wait for the Holy Spirit, not just hang around, not just procrastinate. Um, but but he, 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 he tells them, you've been saved, your sins have been forgiven. Now you've been apprenticed, you've been trained, you're still not ready. Mm. And he's saying, All, you, you've literally been with the Son of God for three years. You're not ready. You still need the Holy Spirit. And that hasn't changed for us. And uh, without the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us, we have nothing and we can accomplish nothing right. in our own power. And so the question I keep returning to is, what are we waiting for? Because naturally, we're, we are people who wait. We're people who hope. Uh, but sometimes that looks a lot like chasing mirages, you know, like the kind of mirage that, you know, you get there and it disappears in the desert, that kind of picture. Uh, If I get this job, if I get this, um, you know, whatever it is, if only then, then I'll be, or then I'll get to, and then you get there and you realize, you know, this is good, but if only I went a little farther, I see an even better oasis in front of me. And so uh, even in the church, as an institution, as a people, we can be guilty of waiting for the wrong things yeah. too. So we've been given this goal by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, but sometimes we're tempted to wait and rely on the wrong things. And these things aren't bad, but they're worthless without the Holy Spirit. Waiting for the right leader. It's easy to attribute things to the right leader. Think about Peter, this great leader. We're getting ready to talk about Pentecost. Imagine, you know, as a, as a pastor... Preaching to 3,000, preaching to more than that, and 3,000 coming to follow Jesus right there Mm. from all these nations. By a numbers perspective, you could say that Peter must have been a better leader than Jesus Mm. because look at the following he gets instantly. But we know that's not true, right? We know that was empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know better. We know that Peter was able to accomplish all these things. Um, and Peter still had even more room to grow. I mean, in Acts 10, he's kind of called out for being racist. Mm. Um, what he accomplished was because the Holy Spirit, he waited on the Holy Spirit. And so um, it's not waiting for the, for the right leader. It's waiting for the Holy Spirit, who is the right leader. And then another thing that I think we get caught up in a lot is waiting for the right strategy or waiting for the resources, we are sometimes unwilling, we think it's unwise, not prudent to go forward without the right resources. Well, you don't want to walk down this road if you're not resourced enough. You know what? Let's wait till we have put together a nice strategy and it could be a nice five-page binder and we can pass it out to everyone and that will be what we'll do to make disciples of all nations. And again, these things are good, but without the Holy Spirit, they're worthless. And if we rush because we have those things, but don't have the Holy Spirit guiding and pushing and empowering us, 
then we are in trouble. Luke 10, the same author, you know, he makes this point in, 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 in chapter 10, when Jesus is sending out the 72, Jesus tells them this, don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. And what he's saying is, listen, don't take money. Don't even take the right gear. I want you to be so reliant on me for this mission. And he says, it's even counterculture. Don't greet anyone on the road. That, that, that would be your obligation. You're on your way somewhere. You find somebody that you know. They invite you for tea or whatever. You've got to stay. And so uh, he's saying, this is a countercultural call. This call to be equipped by his spirit. Because um, the truth is, we're always going to be disappointed. We're always going to be disappointed if we wait on the wrong things. It's, and what we wait on really prompts us to search for in certain areas for that thing. And so if we're yes. waiting for the right the- leader, we're, we're looking in this area. If we're waiting, waiting for the right strategy, we're looking in this specific place. And, you, and you're right, Jesus strips really all that way. And he says, wait for my spirit to come. Yes. This, is, this is what's going to prompt you. Yes. These weren't the best theologians. These weren't you know the best leaders of the time, the most educated people. In fact, I think we see that Jesus was excited to have these kind of people because the glory of God is most evident in people like that when he does big things. Mm. And I think we have to be careful. There are people who go from church to church convinced that if only this church did this or, or had more of that or hired this person or did this kind of music, we would be able to accomplish mm. this. And again, those things are good, but without the Holy Spirit, you're waiting on the wrong things and you're, you're thirsty for what only the Spirit of God can can satisfy. And so we see this, um, um, we see the Holy Spirit then, you know, really come as they wait. So, and they have 10 days from this moment, 40 days with Jesus post-resurrection, then 10 days after this moment, really to sit in this moment. Jesus says, wait, yeah, day one, wait day two. And we see later in Acts 1, it characterizes these 10 days as being filled with prayer, mm. uh, with joining together with, with the other apostles, but with the other followers of Jesus. And they're devoting yeah. themselves to prayer in this moment. And they're waiting in anticipation, not for what they're preparing themselves to do, but preparing themselves to receive what God has for them. Yeah. Nerve wracking 10 days. God, what is it going to look like? Um, but it says this in verse four, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. And um, this happens in the room. I think it happens in the room because it's a sign Mm. to, it's a sign to them as well as later, it'll be a sign to the people, you know, uh, that this gospel is being proclaimed in all these languages and they're all able to understand. But they needed to know right there what that looked like. And they needed to know that this was something happening outside of their power, their control. it's not just the Holy Spirit's filling and empowering. It's not just like a boost of confidence you get or a conviction to do what's right. Mm. It is the very Spirit of God. And, it, and, and, and Luke adds this. It says, they did all this as the Spirit enabled them. Mm. And I think what he's trying to say is that the Holy Spirit is in control. God's in control. God is using these people. This wasn't like some superpower that now they have that they can use whenever they want. Yeah. It's they were able to do this as the Spirit enabled them. And so this, the chapter really starts with this, this call of obedience. Um, Jesus says, wait. And so they do wait. And then it says they, were, they all were in that room and they were all filled. And I think it could be so easy to just 
um, like go over that real quickly. But I think he writes that that kind of all language to let us know they all listened to Jesus. And so when they all listened to Jesus, they received the Holy Spirit together. Um, and really the Spirit, I think we see this pattern, this God's presence loves to make itself known to obedient and humble hearts. Mm. Uh, because those are the people God can trust to, to move the mm. mission forward, especially people with humble hearts, because uh, at the end, they'll receive mm. the glory. Humble hearts and even humble circumstances. Mm. The kind of people um, that, that, you know, that you, you look at and you say, how could somebody like that do that? Yeah. And then immediately that gives glory to God. Yeah. And if, so Acts 1 is all about waiting. Acts 2 is that action of, of receiving. You know, he says, you will receive. This is the moment of receiving. I, I always find it interesting. You know, Acts 2 begins, says, when the day of Pentecost arrived. And we, we tend to just say the day of Pentecost is when the Spirit was received, which it yeah. was. But in the cultural setting of Acts 2, it was really this, this, fe- this feast of Pentecost that was celebrated by the Israelites. It was this, this mm-hmm. moment of this first fruit celebration where they would bring the, the, their, their first harvest, giving it over to God. But it was also this historical moment of remembering uh, all the way back uh, when, when, when God gave the, the commandment, the 10 commandments, the law to the Israelites. It was the celebration of, of going to Mount Sinai as a people and receiving this word. It was always 50 days after Passover. And so here we are 50 days after the Passover and the disciples are together. They receive the spirit and it's in receiving the spirit that it's really this rewriting of history. Mm -hmm. Uh, God's people are waiting for him. They don't just receive his word. They receive his spirit, which is alive. Mm -hmm. And it begins to live in them and call them into this moment. In verses 14 through 17, uh, Peter begins to to really have the first sermon in the Christian church. And uh, verses 14 through 17, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people who are speaking in tongues are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter begins to point out in this sermon that this is this prophecy of Joel that's fulfilled of God's spirit coming on all flesh. And I think that there is this this powerful image of unity that is happening in this moment. The disciples have waited, they've waited and waited and they've sought God. They received the spirit and in receiving the spirit, they're speaking in, in these different languages that they didn't know how to speak in before. And it's, it's, it's to this crowd of people who have gathered gathered to this feast of of Pentecost. And as these people are standing and they hear the gospel being shared in their tongue, it's calling them, it's attracting them into this unifying aspect of what it looks like for God's spirit to be poured on us. And as I've been reading this passage this week, I think the powerful thing about receiving God's spirit is not only that it enables us to live in the power of God, but I also think it equips us into having a deeper understanding of beginning to find ourselves in 
the story. Uh, when I tell my kids uh, bedtime stories, I just make them up uh, on the top of my head, but I always try to include them in the story because when they find themselves in the story, they begin to discover their place and they say, oh, I'm excited about this. I want to mm-hmm. find where I am in this story. And I think mm-hmm. the pouring out of the spirit is this, this call to us as we receive it to find ourselves in God's family. Uh, for uh, last year for Christmas, uh, Brooke gave me one of those ancestry uh, oh, DNA yeah. uh, kind of things. And I'm still waiting my results. I've been really bad at sending it in. But as I logged on, it started to log me into all these different ancestors uh, mm-hmm. that I have, you know, grandparents. Uh, and, and I saw this picture of my great grandmother for the first time. I've never seen a picture of her before all through ancestry.com. And, uh, and it was like this realization of like, oh, I'm part of a bigger story. Yeah. I'm part of something bigger. And in this moment, we see that, that, that the spirit comes and it, it's calling this unifying aspect of, of bringing this church together. Mm. And I, as I picture, I like to picture in my head what this looks like, what, what God is up to in, in our city. And I, I think... I get this picture that God is searching for a people who have the same hearts, these glad and sincere hearts, a people ready to serve him, a people dedicated to the gospel, a people reliant on his Holy Spirit. And, and I hope in this new season, with what, what everything that's going on, I hope w- what God can see, I hope he can look at us and say, these are people that I want to pour out my spirit on and entrust the city to them, not because of their leadership, not because of their strategy, not because of their resources, but because of their heart and by my power. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I say that, I say that, that I think this is what God wants to do with us in Chicago. And not just us, but I think that's what God wants to do with his people yeah. in Chicago. And I, I really have no interest in like just pepping anyone up with like optimistic, like, let's go get them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, this is not just a motivational speech. I, I don't really have time for like these kind of optimistic delusions. I think this is real by the power of his spirit. Um, scripture says, Luke writes that the harvest is plentiful, but there's a, but there's a reality to that, a real reality. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field, but don't be delusional about it. Listen to what it says, verse 3, go I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Hmm. This is beyond us. You don't send lambs to wolves unless they are empowered. Hmm. There's something different there. Um, So who can do this work but the very spirit of God? And the truth is, as I look at our world and as I look at scripture, we are not the only ones in waiting. The apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation Mm. for the children of God to be revealed. Mm. That means the consequences of this are bigger than just our own personal faith. I hope you understand as you're sitting in your living room and you feel isolated and you feel like I have this small bubble around Mm. what my world is right now, uh, ever decreasing social circle right now, that, that in that waiting, and maybe the disciples felt like that, that God is going to send us out of this season. And the consequences of who we are as we enter this next season and how we live our life. And if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's bigger than us. And so Chicago, I I believe in the same way, is waiting for God's people full of his spirit to share his good news, his salvation.
And as we go through this season of waiting, as we keep talking about, mm-hmm. I think that it's such a frustrating season because it feels like you're stuck in a place. And yeah. it feels like, like, what am I supposed to do? I'm stuck in this moment. But I think what you're beginning to say is, is expounding our minds to say, really, it's in these times of waiting that God shows up in deeper ways than mm-hmm. we can expect ourselves and begins to open our eyes not only to, to see where his kingdom is breaking in, but yeah. how we are to be a part of building that kingdom. Yeah. How we as a people are empowered as we receive the spirit to go and to live this out in our lives. Mm. And so there's two things, receive and bear witness. As we come to the end of the, this passage, really towards the end of, of Peter's sermon in Acts 2, we see this aspect of bearing witness, of being yeah. witnesses. Uh, as Peter continues to preach, he goes on in verse 32, as he's telling the story of Jesus, he says, this Jesus, God raised up from the mm. dead. And of that, we are all witnesses. Yeah. And again, it's this aspect of saying, we have seen this. We have interacted with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just think through this image as Peter's preaching this, in the back of his mind, he has that image of the campfire on the beach with Jesus as Jesus mm-hmm. is feeding him fish and saying, feed my lambs, feed my mm-hmm. sheep. And this is this moment where, where Peter's speaking and saying, we bear witness to this. We have seen this. This is the truth. And, it, and it's turning this, this aspect of bearing witness into a vocation for the church. Mm-hmm. Live out this aspect of bearing witness. Say the king has come and his kingdom is being established right now. And as Peter preaches this sermon, really towards the beginning of Acts, Acts 2 in verses 12 to 13, we see that the, the, the receiving the spirit, which is, is bearing witness, it, it, it evokes a response. Yeah. In verses 12 through 13, we see, we see this. Uh, the people in the crowd were amazed and they were perplexed, saying to one another, what did this, does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They are drunk. Mm. And we see there's two responses at the beginning of this. Some were amazed and were responding and others mocked yeah. and, and began to disengage with what Peter is saying. And I, and I think as, as we come to this, this time where we talk about bearing witness, I think it really evokes into us a, a response. Yeah. Uh, when we witness something, when we truly experience God's kingdom, God's spirit being poured down upon us, this being invited into this family, it evokes in us some sort of response. Either we mock it and we say that's foolishness mm-hmm. or we're amazed by it and we're invited into saying we are a part of this. Yeah. And I think to bear witness is to tell the story like Peter, I was there. Hmm. I saw it, I witnessed it, and it's prompting into me a response. As we go to the end of this passage, uh, we see that witnessing continues to require a response. And in verses 36 through 38, at the very end of Peter's Peter's sermon, uh, it says this, uh, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm. The action that Peter invites this crowd and really invites us as followers of Christ into is in this twofold response, repent and be baptized. 
this is the takeaway, the action point of this moment in Acts 2. If we are to be a people who receive and bear witness in the name of Christ, we need to go through this motion of repenting, of turning our hearts away from these yeah. false hopes, away from waiting for the right leader, away from waiting for the right strategy, and instead to turn our hearts towards saying, the King has come. And we believe that through his life, his death, and his resurrection, we're invited into this family mm-hmm. and to be baptized. And as a church, we talk about baptism over and over again, because it's this mark of saying, I am devoting my life to following after Christ. As I go under the water, I'm sharing in his death. As I emerge, I'm sharing in his resurrection. And baptism is not just this sign we do. Baptism is the celebration moment of saying, I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of this kingdom. And as I share in Christ's death and his resurrection, I emerge and I receive the spirit in such a way that I begin to bear witness in every area of my life. And as we read this action step from Peter in this moment, we filter back into our current moment and ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? What do we need to turn our hearts for? And have we given our life Mm -hmm. over to God in this way of saying, I want to share in your kingdom. I want to share in what you have done for me. And so that's what we're doing today is we are bearing witness Mm. to the power of the resurrected King and Lord Jesus. And we, we ask you this question today, what are you waiting for? Uh, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not part of his family, we, we are witnesses that there is no life apart from him. That all of this, um, as scripture puts it, all the way in the Old Testament, is a chasing after the wind. Yeah. It's a looking after a mirage. But today you can have real life in Jesus. Not looking for an eternity only after you die, but an eternal life that starts today, a relationship that starts today with him. And we want to invite you to that. We see these two categories of people. One thing is happening. The gospel is being proclaimed. God's spirit is being poured out. People are hearing this. The spirit is moving. And it says some are cut to the heart and some think that you're, that people are drunk. Mm. And uh, I, I want to say this. If, if our hearts are wrong, the very move of God could be happening right in front of us, and we fail to recognize the same thing happening. Two different hearts react in different mm. ways. And so my prayer um, is, is not only for those who, who haven't come into the family to come into the family, but I pray for those who are in the family that we pray this prayer together. Oh, God, keep my heart close to yours. Yes. Sensitive, unapathetic, not hard, so that I may recognize your spirit, your work, and I can be a person that moves with you. A person whose heart is clearly stayed and waiting on the Holy Spirit. Mm. As the Acts 2 concludes, uh, there's a very famous passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47 that really begins to describe what the early church is characterized by. And uh, I think we'll touch on a little bit next week. But as we end today, just I think through that, that, visible image you're giving us. Uh, it says they were cut to the hearts. And later on, as it describes the church in Acts 2.46, it says it was a group of people that received food with glad and generous hearts. And I think again and again, it comes to this emphasis. Uh, what, what do we, how are we um, opening up our hearts, opening up the sensitive areas in our life to the gospel, being cut to the heart with conviction but at the same time, as we move into this family, into this, into this kingdom of God, 
We're invited to live with those generous hearts, to say, I've witnessed it. I've been cut to the heart, and now I want to bear witness to you with my generosity, with my humility, with the way we care for one another. This over and over again, coming and saying, we are people of God, and so we want to respond in that way by offering up our lives, our hearts to him. Would you join us for a moment of response?